Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And we are your killer couple critiquing and arguing over horror films, a couple of weirdos at the bar. So maybe we can never quite enlighten you, maybe we never blow your mind, maybe we never raise a bunch of zombies from the dead, but hopefully you just have a good time listening. So tonight we are continuing our entering gateway horror theme with the 2012 film Paranorman. So this was directed by uh, Chris Butler, who actually did some work on Corpse Bride and Coraline for Lockheed, the studio that put out uh, Paranorman before this. And this was his debut feature. He also went on to direct the film Missing Link uh, for Uh for Lockheed. And it was also directed by Sam Fell, who made his debut feature with the film Flushed Away. And it was written by Butler as well, who also wrote Kubo and the Two Strings, as well as Missing Link for Lockheed. So he obviously has a history there. I'm not quite sure how Fell got into the mix with this, but <laughs> <laughs> but he had also done some animation before this, I believe. So anyway, the film stars Cody Smith-McPhee as Norman, and Cody began acting at a young age. He's appeared in films like The Road, uh, Let Me In, which was the Let the Right One In remake, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. He was in a couple of X-Men movies uh, where he played Nightcrawler, I believe. Oh, shit. Yep. Uh, it also has Tucker Albrizi as Neil, who first appeared as in a bit role in The Office, in an episode of The Office. Uh, he also did a voice for Alvin and the Chipmunks, Chipwrecked, was also in Monster Trucks. <laughs> and it has Anna Kendrick, my love, <laughs> as Courtney. Uh, she first appeared in a film called Camp. She was in the Twilight series, uh, Scott Pilgrim. The Pitch Perfect series, which is where I personally fell in love with her. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and she's also done the voice in both Trolls movies. Uh, so she has quite the, the wide range of, yep. of voice acting. And then it also has Casey Affleck as Mitch. Uh, Casey first appeared in a film called Lemon Sky. He also was in Goodwill Hunting, uh, Soul Survivors, Ocean's 12 and 13, Gone Baby Gone. So he's had a successful career as well. And, uh, and I mean, this, this cast is honestly extraordinary. Like, I don't have time to get into everybody, but, I mean, it's got Leslie Mann, Jeff Garland, John Goodman, Alex Bornstein. I mean, the cast for Paranorman is incredible. It's amazing. <laughs> and so, for those of you that have never seen Paranorman, it's basically about a kid named Norman who has the ability to talk to ghosts. Yes, he sees dead people. <laughs> and it, he lives in this town with the history of witchcraft and witch chainings and all that kind of stuff. And anyway, there's a history of some famous witch that they hunt or whatever, and there's supposed to be this curse that happens around the time of year that the film takes place. And basically, what Norman discovers is that uh, he has to read a story to this witch in order to prevent the curse, and he doesn't quite make it in time. And so a bunch of zombies rise from the dead and begin invading the town. So so then it's up to Norman and a bunch of outcasts to kind of figure out, like, you know, how to stop it. So 
this film is unfortunately not streaming. Boom. And why I will always say physical media, physical media, physical media, because <laughs> the fact that you can't even stream Paranorman for your kids is pretty bullshit. Yep. <laughs> Especially considering it's only 10 years old. So. And it's almost spooky season. And it's almost spooky season, and it's a goddamn crime against humanity that is not streaming anywhere for your kids. Yep. <laughs> but so we are going to be spoiling everything. Uh, we'll let you know when we're getting into spoilers, though. But we do recommend that you rent this and check it out beforehand. Uh, because it is a great film. Definitely don't want to spoil anything for you if you haven't seen it. Uh, but we'll let you know when we're getting into spoilers. So first, just our usual spoiler-free content. So as usual, tagline versus the film, what we think of the movie overall. So the tagline for Paranorman was, It's all fun and games until someone raises the dead. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think of the tagline? What do you think of Paranorman overall? I, I think it's a really cute tagline. I don't know if it exactly fits the film, but I'm okay with it. Yeah, I mean, it only fits it as far as the zombies thing. Yeah. I, there are better taglines for this, but that's what's on the posters. So. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. Look, I fucking love this movie. I'm also really excited because now we're in what I would consider my genre of, of gateway horror. Kids movies. Kids movies, <laughs> yes. This is what I'm about. Look, I was absolutely that Disney movie bitch. Those are all my early horror films. It's things like Under Wraps and Hocus Pocus and all of that kind of stuff. And that's why Paranorman, I'm so bummed that this movie didn't exist when I was a kid because I would have fucking loved it. No, same here. I, I think Paranorman would have been huge for me as a kid. You oh, know, definitely I, for you. Uh, I mean, the... You know, this was one of the first movies that you and I actually saw together. This mm -hmm. came out in 2012. We'd only been dating for like a year, I think. So, so I mean, it's special to me just for that. But, but no, this would have been amazing to me as a kid, you know, because I, I really relate to Norman quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, that, and that's kind of the difference between Paranorman and a lot of the kids' horror movies that I got. Because, you know, outside of things like Are You Afraid of the Dark and Goosebumps and, you know, like the TV shows, outside of that, there weren't really a lot of, like, kids' horror movies in which the kids themselves were super hardcore horror fans. Yeah. You know, like, Hocus Pocus doesn't really have that. And, and you know, Under Wraps, I don't think, has that. Although it's been a long time since I've seen Under Wraps. So. Oh, Under Wraps, <laughs> the kid is totally into monsters. Okay, well, so I guess I'm wrong there. But... <laughs> But, but, I mean, the point is, like, Paranorman, I think, would have been really valuable to me. And I'm glad it exists because I'm sure it's very valuable to kids who have grown up with it. And that yeah. was probably one of their first introductions to horror, which is why this month is just so cool. Because we're talking about all these movies that had a big impact on us and future generations, you know. So yeah, And for me with Paranorman, what I really love is this is one of our few animated films that we've talked about on the show because there's not a lot of animated horror and that kind of makes sense and it kind of bums me out because i feel like you could do some really cool shit with animation mm. but paranorman is such a special movie because it's the kind of like the return of us getting stop motion films again and those are always so beautiful and intricate like we all love I mean, I can't say we all, but a lot of us love, like, Nightmare Before Christmas was huge for us. Oh, yeah, a big us. movie for me. Yeah, Corpse Bride, Paranorman, it all kind of fits into, like, this really cool niche of kids' horror films or family horror films that have a really spooky, like, atmosphere, cool well, messaging, and, like, the zombies in this are some of the best zombies I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't know if I'll go as far as ever seen. I mean, that they're good. Dude has skin hanging off him. They're good zombies, but good we live. Zombies. But we live in a world where Lucio Fulci and George Romero made zombie movies. So. Fair enough. <laughs> no, they're very good. But 
But no, I mean, look, this is what I love about Lockyer, right? Is that they're kind of a studio that's sort of dedicated to, you know, sort of these creepier, weirder kind of kids' movies, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Paranorman was their second movie, uh, Coraline being their first, and Coraline itself is another really great one that we could have easily talked about this month because that's a very good but creepy movie (laughs) for kids, right? So no, like, it's, you know, it's just, it's it's a great film for kids. It's very special, and... And, you know, you mentioned the stop motion, which is an animation that I truly adore. And and I also, I love watching the behind the scenes stuff for Lakia, you know, and just kind of like seeing all the work that goes into creating these things. I mean, because they use uh, like a 3D printer yes. for, for, their, for their puppets and whatever. And I mean, these things, I, I'm trying to remember the exact number, but there's basically like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of versions of each puppet. To, to kind of to, to get the correct facial expressions and all that. Like, there is an incredible amount of work that goes into these movies. Yeah, I got to actually do a um, – Lucky usually has a little tour thing at San Diego Comic-Con, and I got to go one year and hear them kind of talk about some of their process. And 3D printing has really, like, been a huge thing for this industry because Coraline had, like, a couple of thousand faces. Paranorman has – upwards of like i want to say like ten thousand or something i didn't know it was that much i thought it was like hundreds not thousands No, it's (laughs) it's in the thousands for them and kubo has even more which was their next one Um, and it's it's what allows them to do such minute expressions and that's what's really cool about this because we think about stop motion we think about some of those old christmas movies and stuff like that like the clunky claymation yeah which i think is great i love those oh it's absolutely (laughs) great but the amount of detail and expression that they're able to do with this is so cool and you almost kind of forget that this is stop motion that this is just people like minutely moving shit mm-hmm. like how long it takes them to make this film like the just dedication that this team does is amazing yeah no luck is great i go watch every film by them if you can they're not all amazing but they're the work <laughs> they're put into them they're very interesting yeah. they're definitely very interesting <laughs> so look one one last thing i want to say before we get into spoilers though just a fun thing is that that to me, there there is a special place in hell uh, for the person who did the subtitles oh. for, for the Scream Factory version of this. Uh, because there, there's one moment where Paranorm or not Paranorman, there's one moment where Norman looks out his window and sees Neil in a, a hockey mask, you know, kind of like Jason. And his phone rings and it's the Halloween ringtone. Or it's the Halloween theme, but the subtitles say Friday the 13th music plays. <laughs> and I just, like, lost my mind reading the subtitles of, like, no, how could you mistake those? It's fucking 2012 and you're doing subtitles for this. How do you not know that? <laughs> he was so mad. I was not happy. <laughs> but, yeah, so, so fun fact there on the subtitles for the disc version of this. Uh, but yeah, no, so we're about to get into the spoilers, so again, if you have not seen Paranorman, please go check it out, it's an amazing film, uh, otherwise we are going to spoil everything for you, so that being said, let's just start off with Norman himself, his ability, and his obsession with zombies. <laughs> what do you think of Norman? <laughs> I mean, he's you, you know, plus extra abilities. He, he's basically with me, except I couldn't talk to the dead, I just, you know, pretended I could. So. Yeah. <laughs> like we all do. Sure. <laughs> 
look, I I really think that like Norman's ability is really cool. I mean, who wouldn't want to be able to like see ghosts and talk to the dead? Me, I would not want to be able to. That well, sounds horrifying. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, and that's why I like how Paranorman handles this because I think by the time Paranorman came out, we all knew Sixth Sense. So you know, it was I see dead people. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's an early or late '90s reference for you. Spoilers, we, Matthew. We, we total we totally didn't fucking bash that one into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, we all were really familiar with that, and so the concept of being able to see dead people and stuff like that is such a terrifying thought, and that's how you know a lot of the townsfolk kind of react to Norman's gift. But what I really love about Paranorman is that it's not weird or scary for him. Mm. And I think that they really put thought into it of if Norman had grown up with this ability and he was dealing with ghosts like we see in the movie where they're just kind of chill people hanging out. They're not like the Sixth Sense ghosts that are like fucking running at him. Yeah, those ghosts are terrified. They are <laughs> terrified and that kid had a reason to be scared. I'm he not sure trying, did. I'm not trying to like devalue him or whatever you're um, not you're not looking at that kid and being like you fucking wimp being scared I mean, of ghosts <laughs> that just burst into your room in the middle of the night <laughs> uh, i am a little, little bit a little wimp what I, I can't wait for you to see a ghost <laughs> for the first time and see how you react <laughs> with midwestern politeness oh fuck you will <laughs> <laughs> but no i like the fact that this movie kind of looks at it as like if he had grown up with this ability you know he's not going to be scared of the ghosts this is just a part of his normal life and it's something that separates him from everybody else. And that's really what Norman's story is kind of about, is that sense of being being other and viewing the world slightly different than everybody else and questioning things that everybody else aren't questioning and how that can make you kind of an outcast in a society. So I think, like, the use of being him being able to see ghosts is really strong with that. I mean, and the zombie thing, I feel like if you can see ghosts, why wouldn't you be obsessed with zombies? Well, so so I, I I know you have a deeper meaning to this. <laughs> I do. <laughs> well, so yes, I mean, you know, obviously being in the horror genre with Paranorman, you know, it is it, it it's a very effective way to kind of establish Norman as being different, right? As having mm-hmm. this ability. And, you know, I, I'm sure there's a little bit inspired from Sixth Sense <laughs> with this film, regardless of whether or not the filmmakers would admit it. <laughs> to me though, I think that the thing that's interesting about the zombies is that, you know, you say it like, well, Norman loves zombies because he loves, you know, ghosts. He's not afraid of ghosts, so of course he loves zombies. I view it differently. I think that, you know, oftentimes our favorite, like, our favorite things in horror are not necessarily things that we... I don't know, aren't afraid of I, mm-hmm. is maybe a way to say it. it they, they are the things that we do fear in some ways, you know, because because the horror basically allows us to kind of build a connection with those things. We're like, we are terrified of them, but horror is sort of the safe way of confronting it. So in a sense, it's kind of like, you know, it, it it makes it fun for us to sort of do this. I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure I'm using the correct words here, but it's like, you know, for example, it's part of the reason that I love werewolves so much because werewolves, frankly, terrify me. Like, the monster itself terrifies me. I The, the very thought of encountering a werewolf, despite the fact that I want to be bitten by one and turned <laughs> into one, it is horrifying, you know, because I'm like, yeah, I'm fucked. There, there's <laughs> nothing I can do. Give me zombies all day long. I'm fucked against a werewolf, you know? Yeah. And and the monster itself terrifies me and, you know, all the, the deeper meanings of it and, you know, the kind of 
inner self that that is difficult for you to face and all that stuff. So when it comes to the zombies, you know, I think that the thing that's interesting about this movie is that Norman has just lost his grandmother, mm -hmm. from what you understand, played by Elaine Trich, which I think this was one of her last roles. And so, you know, he's he's recently lost her, we get the impression of. And so I actually get the sense that even though Norman is not afraid of the ghosts because they themselves are kind of similar to him in the fact that, you know, they're they're lost, they're kind of lonely, that sort of thing. He relates them in that way, but with zombies, I actually think that Norman's a little bit afraid of death or or sort of afraid of what zombies represent because zombies in zombie movies, you know, they're very rarely do you have a zombie film where there's just one zombie. Yeah. You know, zombie films are always about sort of the mob mentality. Mm -hmm. You know, every time a zombie film, uh, the zombies themselves sort of represent like a human mob, so to speak, you know, and the way that humans just kind of sort of focus on one target and all just kind of go after it. And it, and often in those movies too, the, the humans are the real villains. You know, the mm -hmm. humans... Uh, the worst parts about humanity come out in zombie movies. So I think that Norman has an obsession with zombie films because one, he fears the sort of mob mentality that comes from bullying. You know, he's this kid that every time he walks in the school, every kid is, you know, whispering about him, making fun of him. And, and that's similar to just this mob of people attacking you the way that zombies do. Right. And then also too, you know, he probably finds some kind of connection in zombie movies because he he is used to seeing kind of the the darker parts of humanity mm -hmm. you know so so he probably relates quite a bit to to sort of those themes in these movies right i mean i think that totally makes sense because it was the one thing that i was thinking about with the zombies but i did not trust my brain because my brain is not the best oh uh, you have a nice brain <laughs> i have an okay brain it does its best um, a zombie would eat it a zombie would take a bite out of that i would hope so how i'm sorry how just, like, heartbreaking would it be if a zombie, like, bit into your brain and then spat it out? Well, well, I, it'd, be, it'd be like Homer in the Simpsons episode of Treehouse of Horror, where zombies break in and they, they're screaming for brains and they knock on his head and they're like, ah, and they, like, push him away because there's nothing in there. <laughs> oh, I'm the unripe cantaloupe. <laughs> no, I'm saying you would be a ripe cantaloupe. A zombie would bite that. A zombie okay. would totally hit that. Well, <laughs> No, but it was one of the things that I was thinking about because for me with the zombies in this film, to like go off of what you were saying, it very much is his daily life. He mm. is constantly dealing with ostensibly these brain-dead people who can't really see what's in front of them no. and just kind of want to cannibalize the people around them to like make themselves feel better. Because, yeah, that's constantly happening in this where they'll just – None of them think about anything. Nobody in right. this town has a single brain. And, and alternatively, you know, Norman, I think, also relates to the zombies themselves in a way as well, because, you know, and, and that's the complication of, of, you know, what we're drawn to in horror is mm. that, you know, sometimes it's the things we're scared of, but also the things we relate to as well. And sometimes that's kind of why we're scared of them. And so, you know, with him, I think alternatively, he himself is a bit of a zombie. You know, the the film gives us all kinds of, imagery to sort of uh reflect on that idea or imply that norman is kind of living like a zombie mm -hmm. because you know when he when his alarm when his zombie hand <laughs> alarm clock goes off you know he raises his hand like uh he when he's brushing his teeth he makes the the zombie motion right the, the very idea of a zombie is to be 
uh, alone and kind of, you know, just not there really. And that's kind of how Norman feels. I think Norman is alone. He doesn't feel like he exists in this world. And he's kind of, you know, he, I I don't want to say that Norman is dead inside because he's not, because he is this kid that has his own kind of love and interest and all that sort of stuff. Um, but he's sort of dead to the world, you know? Yeah. So so I think he also relates to it in that way, in that he just, you know, feels like a zombie kind of moving through life. <laughs> I definitely agree with you there. I think that Norman, unfortunately, is, at, at the moment that we meet him in the beginning of the movie, very much at this weird balance point where he is not alive and he's not dead. Very, He's very zombie-ish because... Mm. You know, he's not connecting with anybody. He actively is trying not to have friends, not to be noticed. It's really interesting in the beginning, the time that we see Norman most animated and most like a kid and excited and happy is on his way to school when he doesn't have to talk to any humans. All he is is talking to the ghosts. And it's not even just a, like, hey, how are you? A lot of it is also catching up. Like, one of the ghosts, like, the fucking greaser one is just, like, asking Norman if he's cutting school. So mm. it becomes very apparent that, like, this walk to school isn't unusual. He has relationships with these ghosts in a way that he doesn't have with the humans. Because the ghosts aren't judging him. They're not a no. bunch of judgy bitches. <laughs> well, well, they have no reason to. They're dead now, you know? Yeah. They don't <laughs> They don't have social status to live up to. <laughs> yes. Um. You know, well, so, I mean, and I, I was thinking about this watching this as well. And, you know, something I never really considered about zombies that Paranorman kind of struck me with is that... There, there's a lot of hand imagery in this movie, you know, whether it be like Norman's alarm clock, uh, the, the hand of the zombies reaching out, uh, all the times that we see, you know, Norman and the human characters like taking hold of each other's hands. And it's sort people of people stealing the zombies hands, people stealing zombie hands. And it sort of made me think, you know, every time we see zombies there, there is that sort of like stereotypical walk of a zombie where they often are sort of reaching towards you right mm-hmm. and, and no other monster does that really like they're you know vampires don't like <laughs> vampires don't <laughs> walk towards you all the time with their hands out right werewolves don't walk towards you with their hands out mummies do sometimes well mummies are also dead and very zombie like they just have wrapping on them so. <laughs> <laughs> they're just gift wrapped uh, exactly all right gift wrapped for your pleasure um, Ew. <laughs> um <laughs> ribbed for your <laughs> <laughs> rib, nope. rib, rib for your zombie encountering pleasure. Um, Wouldn't that be necrophilia? So, yes, of course it would. Uh, so, <laughs> they're dead. They're undead. They're dead. Um, yeah. It's still a corpse. Uh, so, so I started thinking about that, and I'm like, you know, the other interesting thing here with zombies and, and their connection to Norman is that, you know, zombies are also this creature that I think is, is reaching is always reaching back towards humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, obviously we know uh, contextually like zombies are, are reaching towards you because they want to eat your brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, but but the imagery to me strikes as, as you know, these undead people who are just trying to reach back towards life, you yeah. know? And, and so I think that that's another way that this kind of plays into it is that, you know, Paranorman, like zombies, is this character that is reaching is reaching out but maybe doesn't know it you know yes. like he like he wants friends mm-hmm. but he's not willing at the time that we meet him in the beginning of the movie to to make an effort for that you know he's because sca- he's scared of yeah. humanity 
but I don't know. That's just something I thought about. Like, there's so much hand imagery in this that I'm like, you know, it, it kind of does strike me as zombies just reaching towards something, trying to reach back to, like, the life that they used to have to, to reach and have a connection with humanity or a human being, you know? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, I mean, to talk about another movie for a hot second, it very much goes in line with what they kind of set up with Return of the Living Dead, where they kind of talked about why the zombies eat brains. And I think you're right. It is reaching back towards life, towards feeling what it it is to be alive and be human. Yeah. And I think that that's a huge part of this movie is, you know, how do you go about reaching people and reaching out to people when you have been so severely hurt by people? Um, and that very much is where we're, you know, starting with Norman going into this film. It's very obvious that he just does not have good relations with the people around him. And that starts at home because his family fucking sucks. <laughs> this is like the well, worst fucking family and I want to adopt him. No, I disagree. It's, <gasps> it, we're look, adopting him. No, I disagree. It's not the worst family ever. The, the, okay. The thing is, is that, you know. <sighs> not a good family. Well, no, I mean. <laughs> But see, the thing you got to understand is like, I, I mean, I lived in a family like this, you know, mm -hmm. and, and well, well, my parents never directly said, you know, I wish you were different. They certainly, I think, wish that I was, you know, That's like, not my, okay, man. <laughs> no, but the thing is, is like, I don't, I don't hold that against my parents because, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> I do. <laughs> well, well I, I say, think of it this way, right? Like, you know. If I ever had a kid, I, I would want them to be into horror. And if mm. they weren't in the horror and their whole thing was like, I don't know, being a jock in the sports, I would still love them. Mm -hmm. But I would be disappointed that we don't get to, like, chill out and watch horror movies together, right? Mm -hmm. The difference here is that, you know, Norman being this kid who claims, as far as his parents know, that claims that he can talk to the dead. I mean, yeah, that's difficult. You know, like, the thing, the thing with his family is that none of them know how to handle that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not that they don't love Norman, and that's what the mom makes clear, is that the dad, even though it's the wrong way to act, it's not that the dad doesn't love Norman, it's that, like she says, the dad is afraid for Norman. Mm -hmm. And kind of the, the impression that they're going there and what the filmmakers are going for as well is that, you know, it's a flawed family. Like, they're not the perfect family, but the thing is, is they don't hate Norman, they just, they don't know how to basically be there for him as who he is right like they mm -hmm. want better for him they just don't go about it in the right way you know so so i don't i you know i i don't think that they're like this awful family <laughs> and norman needs to be adopted right away uh they're they're parents who are trying and failing you know and and that's the thing is like they're failing but they're trying but they're but they're imperfect just mm -hmm. like every family is imperfect the thing with norman and his relationship with people is that you know I mean, this is something I relate to where it's like, you know, growing up, I, I, again, I was like Norman, I was bullied and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I felt similar where it's like, I didn't really feel, you know, like I wanted to be around people or my parents or my sister because I, I felt like people didn't really get me, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that Norman feels the same way, which is why I love uh, characters like Neil, who is amazing, it, who's basically just like, I don't care if you don't want to be around people, I'm gonna make you my friend. <laughs> yep. I love Neil so much, and Neil really is the friend that Norman needs, and you know, the friend that I feel like we all could use because one of the things that I really love about Neil is when they're first walking home from school together, and Neil's kind of forced himself on on Norman. 
you know, they're kind of talking about bullying and Neil's giving an example of like why he gets picked on. And it's really interesting because he goes through this whole list of just like he's lactose intolerant, he sweats when he walks, and he has irritable bowel syndrome. He's so mm. weirdly proud of that. <laughs> and I think what's so great I mean, who isn't proud of good gas, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And what I think is so charming and so nice to see is that Neil knows every single thing that kids pick on him for. But he also knows that they're not reasons for people to make fun of him for. He accepts himself for who he is. He's not, like, down on himself for any of these. He's just like, yeah, that's me, and your point is. Mm. And that's really what Norman needs. He needs kind of a cheerleader in his corner who, like, doesn't doesn't care about any of this stuff. He knows he's going to get bullied. He's not happy about it. He's mm. not some naive sunshine child. But he's aware of the world, and he's happy with who he is. And that's awesome. Right. And I, and I love the line, too, where, like, you know, Norman says something about, like, I just like being alone. And Niels goes, so do I. So let's do it together, you know. <laughs> and it's just, it's like, that. that's the kind of friend that you need as a kid like Norman, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, the kid who just pushes you to kind of be more yourself and accept your place in the world. Or, or accept just who you are, you know, mm-hmm. and not be ashamed of it, right? So, no, I love Neil. And I think that, you know, the inclusion of Mr. Pendergast, played by John Goodman, uh, is great, too, because you know not only do we later kind of get a hint that norman is actually related to the witch mm-hmm. uh, because pendergast's uncle and her last name is pendergast which we'll get to in a minute but i love mr pendergast because to me he's kind of the implication of like what norman could become yes if norman doesn't you know sort of change the way that he approaches the world you know mm-hmm. and, and like one thing that really struck me on rewatch is how mr Bradgast has this book in his house that says you're not creepy you know <laughs> and it, it's sort of we all d- need that book sometimes <laughs> we do and especially you and i but you know it, it gives this impression that like pendergast he is this guy who lives alone he's the creepy old bum that nobody in town talks to you know, everyone has rumors about him and whatever. His parent or Norman's parents don't even let her let him see Mr. Pendergast. Yep. And, you know, you get this idea that, like, Mr. Pendergast was probably exactly like Norman and exactly like Agatha, the, the quote-unquote witch, where he was this person who had these abilities, didn't know how to deal with them, and basically shut himself off to the world, right? Yep. And, and he didn't have a kneel. He didn't have a kneel. And, and you know, having that scene... It's and just that one little hint there is this moment that's like he is a lonely soul too. You know, mm-hmm. he actually cares that he's alone. He doesn't want to be alone. And you know, so it's it's this really great reflection of like Norman sort of looking into a mirror and seeing like this is my future yeah. if if nothing changes, you know. Um and it, why I guess I kind of also like the fact that Pendergast and Neil sort of have this confrontation because it's almost, in a sense, it's almost kind of like Pendergast being this part of Norman's personality that's like, no, I don't want Neil as a friend. You know, no, I don't want friendship. Whereas Norman, on the other hand, is sort of beginning to kind of say, oh, maybe that'd be a good thing, you know? So, it's a battle for Norman's soul. Yeah, more with or less. spicy hummus. Yeah. God, I love spicy hummus. <laughs> throw spicy hummus in my face all day i want to swim in it <laughs> that seems unhygienic but okay delicious is what you mean um <laughs> no but i agree with you like you know prendergrass really is it's norman's future and i think the saddest thing that you really see with that is he has all of these pictures 
of Norman's family, Norman and Norman's family. And that for me really cements home that he let something, that a wedge came between him and his family that like caused him to get so isolated. And yeah, we don't want that for Norman. Well, well, I think the saddest thing is that he just dies in his place and like nobody fucking knows about it, you know? In I my mean, that, study, it's starting to smell a little funny. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that that's the sad thing. And, and it hits home, you know, for, mm-hmm. what, for what Norman's life could be. Like Norman having to go to that house and actually face this dead body. I mean, he's mm-hmm. literally looking into his future, yep. you know, and, and what is waiting for him if he doesn't, you know, kind of open up to people more. So. Which is only one shoe and a garbage bag taped to the other one. Yeah, nobody wants that. Nobody you know? wants nobody, that. Nobody wants a garbage bag shoe on your feet. No. Um, <laughs> so, and, and can I just say, too, like, you know, I love this basically, like, Scooby-Doo-esque group that they end up getting together <laughs> for this kind of, like, zombie adventure because, you know, in particular, uh, Mitch, played by Casey Affleck, where... You know, Mitch, as far as I know, is the first, like, openly gay character in animated movies. And I love, and the thing that I love most about him is that he completely goes against the the stereotype mm-hmm. of queer people at the time. You know, again, r- considering this was 2012, 10 years ago, he completely goes against the stereotype then where he's this basically dumb jock, he's you know? He's the dumbest. And, 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 you know, queer people often up to that point are just not portrayed as anything close to the you dumb know, being, jock. being a dumb jock even though there are plenty of you know queer people out there like that so mm-hmm. like i i just love that he gets to just be himself you know <laughs> he gets to just be him and that his queerness is not it doesn't really have anything to do with anything he just mm-hmm. gets to be gay yeah you know and i mean that i i love that so much being in an animated movie where, like, it's not about him being gay. Mm-hmm. Him being gay is not a plot point. It's mm-hmm. not, like, you know, some sort of thing that, like, works into the story somehow. He just gets to fucking be gay. And, yep. like, <laughs> we just, even still, we just don't get enough of that. Where it's, like, you know, I mean, and for those that are kind of confused with what I'm saying, it's, like, think about it this way. There's no, you know, it's not in every fucking movie that the straight person is, like, it's a plot point that they're fucking straight. You know, yeah. they just get to be fucking straight. So. Yeah. It's only really with queer people where their sexuality is a plot point. Right, and that's not how it should be. So no. so I that's it should my be, it should just like come out naturally if if it comes up. And I love the fact that it comes out because he does not understand that Courtney is flirting with him. And he's just like, You wanna go and see a movie? Yeah, come join me and my boyfriend. It'll be great. Well, I suspect he might know that she's flirting with him, but that's his way of being like, I'm fucking gay, bitch. <laughs> 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 yeah. I think but you're giving can, him too many but, brain cells. But we could totally be friends. <laughs> well, look, you know, and so in a weird way, this kind of works into how the town, I think, sort of approaches everything as well. Because, well, because, you know, the re- another reason that I like Mitch being involved in the story and, and you know, Paranorman and just kind of all the themes that revolve around him is that, you know, this is very much a movie about mob mentality and the way that we sort of, you know, attack anybody who is deemed quote unquote different. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and and, I mean, it feels especially poignant today uh, living in a society that, you know, is where, where half the country feels like it's going hardcore after trans people and the queer community, you know, it just, it feels like we're, it it feels like things are even worse than 10 years ago Mm -hmm. where you're just seeing so much attacking on minorities. And it it makes Paranorman feel especially powerful now, uh, even more so than it did 10 years ago, because 
the way that this town reacts to the zombies is like <laughs> you know well, well let's start with the witches the way that they react to to witchcraft in general you know i mean that touches on one of the most horrific things in human history with mob mentality is the way that we treated women yeah. you know for just for for literally anything <laughs> like you, you could be a woman hundreds of years ago who was like could do uh, math who could do math and it's like you're a fucking witch burner you know yep. like like if you looked at a guy funny you know that was it you're getting burned at the stake and so <laughs> yeah it's it's really fucked up and it's really bad and i feel like for me the most telling thing in the movie is really early on we get a picture of ostensibly the the welcome to Bly Hollow sign. Oh and, god, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and their town motto is welcome to Bly Hollow, a nice place to hang. I mean, this is the thing that's horrific about it, right? Is that you know, and this and what I love about this too is it really speaks so much to just how American culture works in general. Mm -hmm. And I, and frankly how white people work in general, right? Yep. Is that you know, we, <laughs> I hate to say we and even be included in this, but it's like American culture, especially, you know, just, just look at the way that we treat uh, witches, you know, places like Salem now, mm -hmm. they're, they're all about witches and all this like witch, you know, imagery and statues and whatever. And, mm -hmm. or, or, you know, the way that we treated uh, indigenous people and how we, you know, after wiping out like an entire group, we basically then you know, appropriate it for ourselves and be like, all right, and now we're going to have all this, you know, indigenous artwork and stuff that we're going to sell. And, you know, we're going to name our sports team. We're going to name our sports teams after them, you know, and like, it's just, it's just, a, it's such a fucking white people thing to do. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's what this movie, I feel like with the town very much like hones in on, on the fact that we have a tendency to forget the horrors of our history. Right. When we can capitalize on them. Uh -huh. um, because that's this entire town. They've turned it into a tourist, a tourist you thing <laughs> off of the death of a child. Yeah. I mean, you've got, <laughs> you've got the town motto. It's a great place to hang, yep. which is really fucking horrifying. Horrible. It actually might be the scariest part of the movie is that fucking town motto. Yep. You know, like, cause who, cause who thought of that and was like, that's a good town motto. Let's, let's mock our history yep. <laughs> and talk about fucking hanging. You know, like you got that, you got fucking... I feel like I made a list here. You got fucking witchy wieners, witch's kitchen, bewitched in Blythe, you know. Uh, you got a statue to the witch. You got a whole fucking festival dedicated to the witch. And it's all like, again, forgetting that you fucking murdered a child. <laughs> you, a little girl. <laughs> you know, and I feel like that's, that's this whole thing because it's also not like the town aren't aware of kind of the fucked up nature of what they're doing. Because we have this really great um, confrontation between um, one of the students, Salma, and the teacher, Mrs. Hensher, when they're doing the drama play, where Salma absolutely calls this out. She's like, why the fuck? She doesn't use fuck because she's a child and this she is a kid's movie. Fuck. She should have <laughs> used fuck. Let Selma say fuck. Yep. If anybody deserves it, it's her. By the way, Selma's totally a play on Velma from Scooby-Doo, if you didn't realize. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But she's smart enough to stay at home and stay out of all of his bullshit. Yeah. But there's this conversation where she's calling out to the teacher of like, why is it that the witches are always represented as these ugly green women sort of a thing? And and Ms. Hensher kind of responds with like, it's to sell things. It's to sell keychains and tchotchkes. So they're aware that they've capitalized, that they've taken a real person and turned them into a caricature. And they're OK with that, which also 100 percent explains why when the zombies show up, they're like, yeah. 
fuck it. But I mean, this is what society does. And, you know, <laughs> like speaking as a bullied kid who, who was, you know, bullied for years, like the, it, it's, you know, a similar thing happens in, in school with these kids who are, who are bullied where like, you know, society uh, with a thing like the witch here in this town, they appropriated to, to make money out of it and profit. Mm-hmm. And when in childhood, in school, kids use it as sort of a way to profit socially yeah you know you basically like you know it's kind of like it's kind of like in prison when you go into prison and you like punch you know the the biggest (laughs) dude in there or something like that or you beat somebody up and make them your bitch the first day because Mm -hmm. it's a way of showing that like i'm not on that level or whatever i don't know i've never actually been to prison well (laughs) aside from like the one day i was in jail but (laughs) um which is another story but but social it's a social currency Mm -hmm. is bullying and picking on these kids and you know because it because it elevates your status to the point where it's like you're not on that level if you if you make fun of the other kid then you get to be a level above that yeah you get to stand on their shoulder so you can be taller Exactly, yeah. yeah so, it's the so, crab bucket problem. I don't know what the fuck that means. I'm going to assume <laughs> it's some dumb Wisconsin thing. Um, <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but, but no, but so, so you know, it, it's the same for the kids in school. And what Norman faces is this sort of social currency where it's like even the fucking dumbass bullies like Alvin, played by Christopher Mintz Plus, is that, you know, he, he's this fucking dumbass who's totally fucking useless, but he gets to be... On a different level because he picks on Norman, right? So <laughs> poor illiterate bastard. Fucker doesn't even know how to spell his own name. He doesn't know how to spell his own fucking name. <laughs> I mean, it's, he is as dumb as they get. But and I love that the film, you know, kind of redeems him a little bit as well, and he gets to be like one of Norman's partners in this. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's great. But you know, I think the thing that's interesting here, like moving aside from the witch thing, is that Norman falls into the same traps with the zombies. Yes, you know, because because. I feel like it's a way for Norman to sort of not understand his bullies, but to sort of understand, maybe to sort of understand what Neil is trying to say in the first place Mm -hmm. is that, you know, people are going to pick on you for this shit and it's just how it is, you know? Yeah. And you just got to move beyond that. I I feel like it's a way for Norman to kind of realize like, yeah, people just don't understand and that's kind of how it is. And you have to kind of, you know, make them see differently in a way. And so basically what I'm saying is like the way that like Norman reacts to the zombie is the same way that everyone reacts to him mm-hmm. because he has seen zombies perceived a certain way in film. He automatically assumes that the zombies that are raised by the witch's curse are, are going to be brain eating zombies, right? Yeah. He, he judges them the same way that he's judged every day. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, going, it's screenwriting 101 that the grandmother basically lays out the entire plot of the movie <laughs> uh, in the first scene with Norman because she he's watching this great zombie movie, which I love as a throwback to just like, you know, corny, just campy <laughs> crap horror, right? <laughs> She asks him, like, why the zombies are eating brains? And he's like, it's just what they do. And she's like, oh, you know, well, I, that's not nice of them. I bet if they just sat down and talked, you know, they'd figure <laughs> something out or whatever. And she's basically giving him, like, what the solution ends up being in the film is that if you just sat down and talked, 
you know, you would realize, like, they're not trying to hurt you. I mean, that's grandma wisdom. They just have all the knowledge. Uh, well, Come you know, me. I mean, yeah, they're old, you know, yeah. and I, I, hope, <laughs> I hope to be at least a little wise <laughs> as I get older. Um, uh, that, for me, is why I like the dichotomy of who Norman gets paired up with as his group. Because what I think is really interesting is normally you've got a group of kids that all kind of like each other, right, in these movies. They're all kind of friends or they're united by a similar cause. Norman, he makes a comment when he's in the library where if he had known there was going to be so much reading, he would have brought a different group of people who hate him to come with him. Uh-huh. And I feel like as we're talking about like really talking to people and understanding them, that's why it's so important that he ended up with three people who have been very vocal in this movie about not liking him. Like, Courtney is your typical older sister. Midge advises Neil to not be friends with him, and Alvin actively bullies him. But for for them to stand with him at the end because they've gotten to know Norman, I think that's a really powerful thing. The same way that it's really powerful that Norman finally takes a moment to learn that the zombies, to your point, they're not monsters. They're not they're bad yeah. people. They are bad people. Well, they're bad people, but they're not monsters. No, you know, and they made a mistake, a horrible mistake. But. Yeah, and, and, I, and I mean, we see the perfect representation of this with the way the town reacts to the zombies because, I mean, the zombies, they, they're literally just like, you know, they're, they're like a bunch of tourists stumbling into the town, <laughs> right? And, you know, tourists from like 300 years ago stumbling mm-hmm. into the future and being freaked the fuck out <laughs> yep. because everything is awful. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and, and they come into this town and like they don't even do anything. And automatically the town is, you know, attacking them and, and basically forming mob rule against them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you mentioned Courtney, like she says, uh, like, I, I think it's her that says this. Uh, this is awful. The zombies are eating like everyone, you know, <laughs> they're not eating a single person. They, nope. they don't even bite a single person, you know. So, like, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just such a great message to younger kids about how, like, we we automatically judge people by the way that they look, you know? Mm-hmm. I, like, the reason I was bullied is because I had fucking red cheeks, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I had a really bad case of rosacea, and so I was bullied for that. And even my teachers, there were all these moments where, like, you know, some, someone would say something in class or, you know, or something would happen, and my teacher would return to the classroom and see that my face was red, and she'd be like, what did you do, Matt? You know, you look guilty. And I'm like, I fucking have rosacea. <laughs> like, you know, I didn't do shit. <laughs> Uh, but that, but that's just how people are. Like people react that way, and sometimes they need to kind of be separated from the mob to see, like, oh, you did something wrong, you mm-hmm. know. Wh- which again is why I think the film is very poignant and relevant for now. I mean, because it, it honestly makes me think a little bit of like, you know, the the fucking insurrection on the six, where like there were a bunch of people that uh, were doing that purposefully, and then there were a bunch of people that are just fucking moronic Trump voters who you know, got caught up with the mob and, and, you know, we're just there for that. So, but that's part of why I like how the curse in this movie is represented because, you know, Norman points out that the curse is it's not about them coming back and hurting people. It's about the people hurting them the same way that these townsfolk hurt Aggie, right? Um, it's about showing it's, it was Aggie's way of showing people how rotten these human beings were. Um, but Norman points it out, like, don't get me wrong, I fucking love this curse, and I kind of wish that I could, like, curse some people so you could see how, like, truly rotten they were. Um, okay. <laughs> but. Don't you, ever curse me. I, <laughs> I wouldn't. Being married's curse enough, right? <laughs> Aw, but I love you. I'm kidding, I love you too. <laughs> but, 
no, I think that it really hits home the point that you're talking about is that these villagers from 300 years ago, they made a mistake, but they're human. And the mm. most important thing is, and the toughest thing for kids to learn, I think, is that adults are human. They make mistakes. That doesn't make them monsters. That doesn't make them evil. That doesn't, you know, negate what they did. That doesn't mean that they should be forgiven. But it does mean that we should give them the benefit of the doubt and talk to them and try to, like, move forward. Yes. Right? Um, <laughs> yes. I mean that. That's basically the point of of all of this. Is that? Well, no. I I, I don't know that the point is to forgive them. I well, think that forgiveness I, is a little strong. Yeah. I I think they did the, murder a child. They they murdered a child, and it's kind of it's kind of hard to forgive that. I don't really forgive witch burners, you know. Yeah. So I think I I think I think that the thing to take away from it, though, again, is that yes, human beings in a mob sort of mentality do not think clearly Mm -hmm. period you know like the the actions of a mob people can be held accountable and should be and should be but you can't you can't necessarily assume that they know 100 percent what they're doing when they're in that mob you know Mm -hmm. it's just it's just a weird part of human nature and it sounds like a bunch of bullshit but it's just how people are when they get into that mob mentality you know you do things you regret basically Mm -hmm. and you and, know, the, and the judge clearly regrets it. He admits he was scared. He was trying to protect his people. What he did was well, wrong, but... Well, he regrets it because he's had 300 fucking years <laughs> to, to rot and think about it, right? You know, yeah. I don't think he regretted it by the time he died. Um, but <laughs> Pretty sure Aggie, like, killed him instantly. Yeah, which, I mean, well, well, I don't know about that. But, I mean, this is why I think that, you know, Aggie's a bit justified in her curse as well. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, and this I love good, this is a good curse. And I love the fact that they're all sort of buried to face each other, as if to like face each other in judgment, right? Mm-hmm. Of like you cannot look away from the others that you participated in this crime with. You have to kind of face each other and with the knowledge that you did this, right? Yeah. And, and the thing too is that you know going back to like kind of how the town has all of this like you know sort of witch memorabilia or whatever is the fact that like history, uh, in particular American culture, but I mean all history everywhere you go has such a way of portraying monsters as the victims, right? Mm-hmm. You know, just like we, we so often portray these awful people as like either victims or heroes or whatever. And and that's the other thing that I kind of like about Paranorman is Paranorman's basically like, yeah, you know, it's not always like that sometimes. <laughs> Some, <laughs> we, we've, we've, we've got a pretty horrible past. And the thing with bringing them kind of back to the present and having to face that is – you know, basically kind of for the rest of us having to face that, you know, mm-hmm. it's not, this movie isn't necessarily about the, uh, the victims or, or not the victims. This movie isn't necessarily about the, the witch burners having a reckoning. It's about the town having a reckoning yep. and realizing we have to accept our history instead of ignoring it as mm-hmm. like all this fun profiteering that we've been having. So. Otherwise they're doomed to repeat it because they did want to burn Norman. <laughs> Exactly. They wanted to kill another kid. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They need to learn from history instead Mm -hmm. of just profiting off of it, right? Yep. And, I mean, the whole thing is just, you know, the literal message of, like, the past comes back to haunt us. Like, Mm -hmm. that's what this whole curse is, is all the shitty things that we do in the past come back around eventually. So (laughs) To bite us. (laughs) To bite us in the ass. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, this all kind of leads to, I think maybe one of the most powerful things in the film, which is Norman's relationship with Agatha, you know, not just the fact that they're related 
which sort of speaks to the fact that history repeats itself, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's this thing that's passed down through their bloodline, so it keeps happening. But just the fact that, you know, I I think that... So, like, some of you might have seen me write about this uh, with the film Evil Speak, which you can find on Daily Grindhouse, and I have another piece coming out about this that sort of speaks to this, but, you know, I I always had a problem with... uh, the revenge of the bullied kind of horror films growing up Mm -hmm. because I related to characters like Carrie or like Arnie and Christine where I was this bully kid and they were bullied kids and misunderstood and all that kind of junk. But I think the thing that's always kind of hard with that is that you so often see the bullied kid become the villain, the villain, become Mm -hmm. the monster, become, you know, the thing that they hate. Mm -hmm. And I think that the thing that is so kind of nice and and powerful about Paranorman is that even though Agatha briefly sort of becomes that, you know, we see the humanity of her. We see see her and Norman share this really sweet moment where where Agatha takes a step back and realizes, like, no, I don't want to be like them, you know? Mm -hmm. She, she herself sort of gets a second chance to be like, I'm not going to become uh, like the people that did this to me. Yeah. I, it's, I love the ending. It's so fucking gorgeous. But I think, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, his, his uncle being a future version of Norman. But no. so is Agatha. I think Agatha and the Uncle Prendergast both kind of show two paths that Norman could take that aren't good for him. One is to become isolated, isolated and lonely and all of that kind of stuff and pulled back from the world. And on Agatha's side, it's to give in to that anger and that hurt and that hatred. And I think it's a very human thing to want to hurt the things that hurt us. I think that it's a very difficult thing to learn that that's not the right response. And you can lose yourself in that hatred. And that's what happened to Agatha. She Mm -hmm. lost herself. And so it's really cool getting that final... Yeah, it's a great message for bullied kids of just yeah. realizing, like, you know, violence does not beget violence. Like, it's not the answer. Exactly. You know? And it's really cool because we see mirrors of the conversation that Neil and Norman have had. So we can already see the influence that having a friend like Neil and Norman not cutting himself off from the world is having on him, and he gets to share that with Agatha. And so it is just this really powerful moment where two kids who can relate to each other even though norman's not dead and also a boy well (laughs) well, see they're very similar though Mm -hmm. and and i love the imagery of like you know the fact that agatha as norman is trying to reach her is going all like evil dead which was Mm -hmm. a huge influence on the movie is going all evil dead and having all these like tree branches kind of pop out of the ground because to me i sort of viewed it as like the 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 literal version of having a barbed heart you know Mm -hmm. where like you're trying to she is not trying to hurt norman she is trying to protect herself yeah she's trying to protect herself from having the face the emotions in her from having the face human interaction yeah because if she wanted to hit norman with that shit she absolutely would. oh oh agatha could have destroyed norman i mean (laughs) she's a pretty fucking powerful girl you know so she is uh so no so it's it's the literal representation of that of her trying to put up all this protection against her heart right Mm -hmm. and and norman he just fucking punches right through that (laughs) he's like he's like girl you're going to listen to me so punches through uh, with his heart No, with his fist. He kalimas her heart. Come on. He grips it in his hands and he's like, listen to me. She's dealt with enough shit. (laughs) She's dead. She doesn't need it. Um, (laughs) But but no, so 
so yeah, no, she again, she's another representation for Norman of what he is mm-hmm. or is becoming and trying to break free of that, right? And, and then just, you know, sort of a closing thought on this is that another major theme of the movie is the idea that fear changes us, right? Like that kind of becomes the whole mob mentality thing is like, oh, people are afraid, so they do bad things, right? I take the alternative look to it where I agree with that, but I think that another thing that's really special about Paranorman, you know, is that you see the love for horror in this movie. Like there are all kinds of horror references, you know, whether it be Halloween, Friday 13th, Evil Dead, whatever, they're all in there. But I look at Fear Changes Us a different way. I look at it as it's not just this thing that changes us for the worse and makes us do bad things but i think it also changes us for the better Mm -hmm. because to me i think that the reason i have or one of the reasons i've always really loved horror and that i think a lot of people do is that horror makes us face kind of the darker parts of ourselves you know horror makes us face those and i think it changes us for the better because it's a safe way for us to confront that and realize, like, I don't want to become that, you know? I don't want that to be my life, my future, and so I'm going to handle it differently, you know? Mm -hmm. So a film like Paranorman, I think, is a great example where it's, like, it shows us how fear changes this mob, and the message to kids is, like, don't be part of that mob. Yeah. You know, don't let fear change you for the better. Let the fear of the idea of becoming part of that mob Mm -hmm. change you into a better person. Yeah. So... I mean, I feel like that goes along with what our wonderful grandma wisdom has given. She gives that wisdom to Norman. Don't let fear, there's nothing wrong with being scared as long as you don't let it change who you are. Mob mentality. Unless will ch- it's for the better. <laughs> unless it's for the better. But mob mentality will change who you are. Right. You know, it's about, and what Norman does with Agatha, it's about holding on to who you are. Right. So, you know, closing thought, if you're if you're part of a, a Trump cult, you know, maybe maybe get out of that way you can. Um, <laughs> and stop letting fear of all the queer people and brown people or whatever the fuck it's you're afraid of. I have no idea. Uh, maybe stop letting that uh, make you into a fucking asshole. Um, so <laughs> uh, but so that being said, uh, so we got to start wrapping up. So who's your killer idiot of Paranorman? The fucking townsfolk for killing a child. I mean, yeah, obviously, but They're I'm going to go... <laughs> But I'm going to go with Mitch because this is a guy who is not disturbed by the head coming off of what he thinks is a living person at the at the time. So I, so yeah. I, I, would, I would argue Mitch is a very special dum-dum. He is a very special dum-dum. And I love him. Uh, what about your – now, we don't have any – we don't have any deaths in particular, unless you want to count the child burning, which I don't. We don't want to count so, that. <laughs> so instead, we're going to go with the comedy, since this is a horror comedy. So what is your killer laugh of Paranorman? Uh, I think mine is when the zombies wander into the town, and it's that moment where they're looking at all the modern stuff, and then you get one of the zombies doing a Scream Queen scream because they're so horrified. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. Uh, I mean... Any of us transported 300 years into the future would probably make the the same same noise because I'm sure it'll be terrifying. Uh, You know, I'm thinking nuclear apocalypse and like, you know, fucking giant like ant people or something. But that sounds dope. (laughs) That does not a nuclear apocalypse where we're all fucking ants. No, this does not sound dope, Chris. (laughs) I mean, I missed it happening. So I just get to meet ant people and get work. I get to wear post-apocalyptic clothing. No, there's nothing about that. Nothing about that. That's good. Um, (laughs) Uh, no, my, my killer laugh is going to go for 
when when Courtney when they're having the whole I mean honestly the whole van sequence but uh but the part where Courtney is saying like this is getting out of and then the zombie's hand bursts the roof and she's like hand <laughs> you know like I I think that's just I love puns it's such a great joke and I honestly the whole van sequence with the zombie like holding on to the back of the van and just screaming <laughs> as it's driving down the street like which never do that. Never hold on to a car while it's driving. That sounds no. terrible. So. No, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> what about your killer MVP of Paranorman? I mean, obviously I have to give it up to the animators because they work so hard. These movies take years to make. You no. know, it's such a labor of love and it shows because this movie's fantastic. So they definitely deserve credit. Yeah. And I, to rest their fingers. Yeah, I I thought the animators would be too easy personally for me, so I chose <laughs> <laughs> All right, bitch. That's just me spinning on your your selection. <laughs> so, so I chose I chose Neil because he's just delightful. Mm-hmm. Like I you know, Neil is the heart of this movie to me. And See, I and thought I, Neil I, was the basic bitch choice, but you know. <laughs> you think you think Neil's the more basic base choice over because the fucking animators? Because obviously he's obviously, the best. Obviously the fucking animators are the reason the movie is like gorgeous. And obviously <laughs> Neil is a ball of sunshine and the most amazing character in this movie. He is a ball of sunshine. And and you know, yeah, no. Neil's great. You Neil's just love him for his spicy Neil, hummus. Neil is what every kid should be, you know. Neil is that kid who's just like, "Hey, you're weird. That's fine. I like weird." You know, like Neil is who every kid should be. Stop being so fucking judgy, people, <laughs> all right? <laughs> Just accept people for who they are, like Neil does. Um, all right, so so every week on Twitter, at Killer Critics, who I always put up a poll, kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on the film and what you think of it. So between love it, it's fine, don't like it, and never seen it, where do you think the audience fell on Paranorman? I hope it's love it, because that's what I want. I'm very worried that it's never seen it. No, come on, this movie's 2012. It's not that underseen. Uh, no, so love it did win. It got 53.9%. Uh, it's fine. Got sixteen point nine percent. Don't like it. Got one point one percent. And I will say a surprising twenty eight point one percent has never seen it, See? which which is shocking to me. This movie is only ten years old, I, and I I know a lot of horror fans like you know we don't go you know might no. be because it's an all ages film. Yeah, and I understand a lot of horror fans. Which if you're following me on Twitter, you're probably a horror fan. I understand a lot of <laughs> horror fans don't go seek out animated kids movies, but I'm telling you. Paranorman is delightful. You yep. will love this movie. So if you're still listening to this and you've had everything spoiled for you, I don't care. Go watch it. It's great. <laughs> uh, so we always get comments from these all as well. So these are all from Twitter. Uh, first up is from at just underscore Erica underscore. So again, that's just underscore E-R-I-C-A underscore. And they say Paranorman is such a fun movie. I think it's underrated compared to the more well-known stop motion movies but this one has an interesting story and is well-made, too. I definitely need to rewatch it soon. I agree. I want Hot Topic to have a Paranorman section the same way they have a Nightmare Before Christmas yes, section. Yes, enough with the Nightmare Before Christmas. We I, get it. I love a Nightmare Before Christmas, too, but for God's sakes, it's fucking everywhere. You know, Chris has a funny joke that or, – or Chris kind of has a fun thing where, where he knows she gets frustrated because, like, she knows that or, – or because people know that she's, like, spooky stuff. But because she's a girl, all they fucking get her is Nightmare Before Christmas shit. <laughs> it's this weird sexist shit that I don't know if any other girls have dealt with. I definitely have. They'll get mad stuff like Creep Show and Friday the 13th and all of that stuff. I get fucking Nightmare Before Christmas. You're only allowed to like the kids' movie. <laughs> I don't. Look, and don't get me wrong. Matt knows this. I fucking love kids' films. I love cartoons. But you know what is not even anywhere as close to my top ten kids' film? 
Nightmare Before Fucking Christmas. <laughs> you people have ruined it for me. Give yeah. me all the Paranorman shit. Hot, hot Topic by itself has ruined it for me because I'm just like, for God's sakes, there are other fucking spooky kids movies that right? you can advertise. It's not all about fucking Nightmare Before Christmas, goddammit. Like, I would even take more Corpse Bride. I think Corpse Bride is gorgeous. I don't think it's as strong Corpse as Corpse Bride, Frankenweenie, Paranorman, oh, Coraline. Yeah. Like, come on, there are so many fucking good ones. We could have talked about all of them this month. They're so good. Come on. Um, come on. Anyway, so... I do have two Paranorman pins, though. Well, so there you go. Uh, so anyway, thank you at Justin underscore Erica underscore for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at Jacob Davison. So that's J-A-C-O-B-D-A-V-I-S-L-N underscore. And they say, I love Paranorman, the perfect tonal mix of a kid's horror comedy and with emotional elements that make me cry every time I see it. A modern classic. Right. It's so good. I, I was so proud of myself. This is the first time that we've watched Paranorman that I didn't cry. I teared up. I teared up. I didn't cry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm easy. But I tear up a lot of things, but but no, Paranorman's a very touching movie. And, you know, I, I don't know if this is your story, Jacob, but, like, again, I, I grew up a lot like a kid, like Paranorman. Uh, so, so it definitely hits a soft spot for me where it's like, yeah, you know, yeah. Definitely yeah. definitely tear up a little bit seeing, seeing Norman – live his life and, and interact right. with people. So. <laughs> we cried so much in the theater, though. Oh, yeah. We no, had to I, try to hide it from no, the other people. <laughs> definitely cried at the end of the movie, for sure. <laughs> uh, so thank you at Jacob Davison underscore for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at the horror guru. So that's the horror G-U-R-U. And they just say, Paranorman rules. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah, it does. <laughs> Fuck yeah, it <Yep>. does. <laughs> uh, so thank you at the Horror Guru for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, so we also have our releases for the week. So uh, some interesting stuff to look forward to here. So first up is a film called When the Screaming Starts, and this is now on Screambox. Uh, so this is basically a, a found footage movie that is a found footage horror comedy that is basically kind of in the vein of like this is Spinal Tap or what we do in the shadows where it's essentially about uh, a group of misfits who want to become serial killers. <laughs> and so they kind of form like this little serial killer group. And then I obviously don't want to give anything away, but it's, it's very much like sort of skewering the kind of like Manson cult type mentality. Uh, and it's very interesting. It's very fun. Uh, so if you have Screenbox, I definitely rec again, recommend checking it out. And I think Screenbox is worth the kind of, you know, 30-day free trial to sort of skim and see what they have. They're not quite shutter. They're not there yet. But but I think over the next few years, Screenbox has the potential to maybe get to kind of where shutter is. So, uh, so you can check that out there. And speaking of shutter, another film is Raven's Hollow, which will be on shutter at the time you're listening to this. And if I remember correctly, this is basically kind of like an Edgar Allan Poe type take, you know, sort of film that sort of referencing Poe's work and all that. I've not seen it yet myself. I meant to before we watched this, but I didn't because I have a lot of other things to do. So, <laughs> uh, but so check that out if you're interested. And then lastly is the film Don't Worry Darling, which is coming to theaters. Um, I, honestly, just, just the press around this makes me <laughs> curious about the film, you know, and with the, the way fucking with, circus with, with the way that the circus has evolved around it and all the sort of like, you know, intricacies of everyone being pissed at each other. And, you know, the, the spit controversy. And the drama. <laughs> the drama, the Florence Pugh, you know, not showing up to screenings and shit. Like, there, 
I, I mean, honestly, the controversy around it is probably more entertaining than the movie itself. <laughs> uh, I have not seen it yet, but the movie does look very good. So Looks I'm very, pretty. I'm interested in it, you know. Um, so check that out in theaters if you're, if you're curious. <laughs> uh, next week, we're going to be talking about Hocus Pocus, which is streaming on Disney+. Plus. You can check it out to your homework there. So, so that'll be next week. But other than that, that's going to do it for us. So I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a great night, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans. <laughs>